Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Uh, Today, Steve Alvarez joins us and we talk about his his and David's early friendship and coming up together as um, eventual head pastors of two different churches and sort of their parallel path. And uh, we also explore some of Steve's um, life, just the things that he's been through and uh, things that has shaped uh, who he is today. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Movement Studios. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Um, if you want to hear, learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. Also, drcrpod.com if you want to hear other episodes, uh, whether it's Dispatches from the Verge or uh, Road to Desert Rain. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm here with David Morrison. Good day, sir. And a special <laughs> guest, Steve Alvarez. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. And I'm going to let David do the intro for Mr. Steve. All right. Steve and Douglas Alvarez here with us. Uh, when did we meet? 16, 17? Yeah, probably. In the uh, late 50s? <laughs> uh, no. We were we met in the in the we grew up in the same neighborhood. You grew up like so two we would streets go to over. The drive-ins and sit in a rumble seat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we met in and we grew up in the same neighborhood in Northeast El Paso. Uh, Probably like eighty four, eighty three. Yeah, I think you were a grade ahead of me. Really? Okay. Yeah, you graduated the year before I did. I think maybe two years. What year did you graduate? Eighty six. Yeah, I was eighty seven. Okay. So we met at Parkland yeah. High School. And and we I know we've covered this. We have? Well, David and I have. Do you remember the first time you met David? Yeah. Can you ex- tell us that story? It was on the stadium. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was doing a little Bible study there. A campus evangelist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and David came and he had his uh he had his Argyle socks and his little sweater tied around his back. <laughs> Preppy you know, style. Neck. Yeah. <laughs> and he had his spandex with the intentionally ripped spandex with jeans, hair down to his waist. No, ripped wasn't in back then. It was <laughs> it was just spandex, just tight, yeah. leather pants, panadors. You were trying panadors to you were trying to David Lee Roth that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a choke collar. Yeah, the whole and he liked the hair bands. The whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, that was the first time that we met. Very odd and friends. I, I don't know if there was something else that was like that stands out about that time, but I do remember that was the first time we met. And you had told me about how your life was over because you had to come to a public school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were worried about your academic future, and obviously yeah. for good reason now. <laughs> no, but you were I worried. Think it shows. It's, it's yeah. panned out. I yeah. think it panned out, exactly. <laughs> He was on fast track to to South Bend, Indiana. Exactly. You remember. I was going to go to Notre Dame. That's right. Okay, that's right. I was going to be a... Yeah, and you were in Chaparral. Your parents couldn't afford the 
the yeah, that's uh, right. What the, the tuition cathedral, for cathedral? Yeah. yeah, and so, and then subsequently, I couldn't get out of the ghetto. Yeah, <laughs> in the ghetto, yeah. I couldn't um, get out. Yeah, so and subsequently to that, you and I, we used to hand out food downtown. That's right, and um, and so David would talk about cathedral quite a bit. And so we went to cathedral a couple of times, right. like in the middle of the night or, you That's know, at least right. late at night <laughs> after 11 mm -hmm. anyway. And, you know, they still had the, the iron gates and yeah. you would tell me about the stories about going there. But that was a really big part of your oh. life, I remember. Yeah, that's right. And, I forgot about that. And so. before we get too deep into it, what was your, what was sort of the spiritual background for you growing up, like in your household and stuff? Or lack thereof. What what did that look like for you? Well, there really wasn't any. So, my mom, my mom went to. She was Catholic, so she went to the Catholic Church down the street. And, mm -hmm. and back then, I don't know what it's like now, but back then it was a stigma to be divorced. So, yeah, I think she was, you know, like gently shunned over that. Mm. Yeah, they tell you not to take communion. Okay. At so. least back then. I and we've, that. I mean, we've talked about it. Uh, someone's road to Desert Rain sort of talks about how she felt shunned okay. by the Catholic Church because of her divorce yeah. or um, impending divorce, I guess. Yeah. But I really do not remember very much about the, about going to church mm -hmm. when I was growing up, you know, when I was little. So. So how did you go from growing up with no church in the house to, Evangelizing at the stadium with or to David Morrison. Evangelizing David Morrison. the preppies. You were you were <laughs> the missionary to the prepsters, <laughs> to the Alex Keatons of the world. Yeah, because I had that mentality, even though I look like a druggie or whatever. <laughs> no, you look like poison. Poison. Oh gosh. Hair rat style. You look like rat. <laughs> okay, rats a, rats a little better. A little better. It's a yeah. step up anyway. Yeah, than poison. Come on. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> Although I didn't like Eddie Van Halen back then, believe it or not. They were actually just coming up. And so I think as we were growing up, it was like ACDC, Ozzy mm -hmm. Osbourne, Aerosmith yeah. were kind of the... the grittier kind of rock. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you go from no church to converting Well, folks? <laughs> my sister, one of my older sisters um, became a Christian... And her, one of her friends, um, this guy named Kevin, had, I guess he had, they were, he, he was in high school, he was partying and he fell off the back of a truck. You remember Kevin, Darren and Kevin Athens? Uh, I don't think I do. Anyway, they, <clears throat> he had fell off the back of a truck and he was in a coma for like six oh, wow. months. Oh. He had to relearn how to do everything. And so he had a spiritual experience through that. And then he, I guess my sister asked him to talk to me. And so um, when I think about it, that's kind of creepy. He took me to the park. <laughs> anyway, we went to the park. <laughs> we played. Wait, wait, how much older was he than you? Uh, he was uh, probably five or six years old. All right. Well, that was a typical Northeast thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If you want to call that typical. No, I'm just kidding. So we went to the park and we were playing Frisbee. And so... Uh, and then, you know, we just kind of hung out. Mm. And then as it was over, he was one of those guys, and this was typical for that era. Right. Um, you know, as I was, like, about to go home, he was like, 
so do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And, and I kind of freaked out, like, the good you know, like old-fashioned Jesus sandwich. Well, yeah, I, I thought it was like an Amway pitch, you know, kind of thing. So I I remember telling him that I wasn't sure and I didn't know, really didn't quite understand mm-hmm. what he was talking about. But what was interesting is he told me, um, he started talking to me about, you know, this is in that context about the Lord and about going to hell and all this stuff. And he said, you know, now that I've told you this, um, and he was using words that I'd never heard, you know, you're accountable for everything you hear. And there's going to be um, people coming and bringing to you a message that's not the same message that I'm bringing. So he was talking about like Jehovah's Witnesses and, oh, and uh, Mormons and Catholics. And yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's not Christian. <laughs> Country music fans. Yeah. So um, anyway, I went home that day and I took a nap. Oh, he told me that I was going to start crying and I wouldn't know why. And, and for me to remember <laughs> that it was because God was moving in my heart. And so I go home, take it's a, a bold nap. prediction. That I is know. a bold one. I know. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, nobody ever cries. So I, I go home and I started, I, I had woke, I took a nap, woke up, started crying. And I, I remember thinking, you know, wow, you know, this guy just told me this. Just like the fortune teller told and me. And then the doorbell rang and it was Mormons. Whoa, that's, that's kind of weird. I don't yeah, remember that story. That's wow. amazing. Yeah, it was a trip. So I call him, and I'm like, hey, Kevin, um, I, you know, can I accept Jesus? You're <laughs> like, Kevin, the Mormons are here. Bring the guns. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bring another wife. <laughs> so um, we, we, um, I call him and tell him that I wanted to accept the Lord, told him what happened. And then he, he said, you know, Steve, I don't think you're ready. <laughs> oh, wow. Played some mind games he on pulled, you. Uh, he goes, you know, the... when we were talking, I just didn't feel like you were that serious. He goes, I want you to think about it overnight. And so, wow. you know, at that age, in that context, I was afraid that I was going to die. What, how old were you? I, like 15. Yeah, wow. Expensive. I That's thought I was going to die and I was going to go to hell. Whatever right. age you are when you're in high school. So, yeah, 15. Uh, <laughs> ninth grade. So, anyway, I was like freaked out all night. And then... And then the next day he called me and said, hey, you know, let me come over. Because back then we had this idea that you had to like go to somebody and pray the prayer with him. Mm, like it right. was very, you know. Now you can just do it over Zoom. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can pray to anybody now. So anyway, so. The, so he came to your house. So him and his brother and this other guy, uh, Frank, uh, the Whistler, the guy that was... Oh, my next-door neighbor. Yeah, they all came over. I didn't know he was a born-again. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, hard to believe. He never so, talked to me. I guess yeah. I wasn't worth it. I know. You, you weren't serious enough. <laughs> like that I wasn't serious enough. That were Morrison too, family. Yeah. You were too steeped in the camp. We were too, yeah, far gone. So um, they, he saw that axe sticker on the back of your parents' car. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the, anyway, so the, those three guys came over and they sat in my room and we held hands, which is the first time that I'd ever held hands with some other guy. And we just prayed. And from there, you know, everything kind of took off for me. But they told me, they gave me a stern warning to never go to church. <laughs> really? Yeah, because, you know, it's the whole thing about like, you know, there's only hypocrites there. You know, that, oh, remember that? Okay. And so, so I... This was really grassroots. Yeah, so yeah, I... That's wild. Yeah. And then, um, and so... I, 
so I was in, very inquisitive and I asked them, you know, a few weeks down the road, like, what about, you know, how do we learn about the Bible? And they, and they said, nobody understands it. Wow. Well, so, at least they were honest. Yeah, yeah they so. were honest. So when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was on vacation with my dad, my dad lived in Thousand Oaks and he would come and get me and we would drive all the way to California. So I, you know, I, and I am admitting now that I committed the crime of stealing a Gideon Bible out of the <laughs> hotel. You know, it was, it was Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs. And so on the trip with my dad, I read it cover to cover and it was King So James. you were gung-ho about this almost right away. Yeah, yeah. And and then I, I read it cover to cover. It was all King James, didn't understand a word. So I came back when I got back to El Paso a month later and I brought those three guys over and I said, you know, we need to learn about this. And then Darren was like, well, my mom goes to this church. It's kind of dorky. It's called Jesus Chapel. <laughs> um, and he, he said, you know, if you want to go, I mean, we, you know, we can go there. So he took me to church the next Sunday and he was kind of mouthing the words, like making fun of like the singing and stuff. And we, you know, we thought it was extremely ridiculous, the mm. music. And so... Anyway, I so I went to church with him, and then, um, and then the Dale was there, so he was speaking, and so Dale. Uh, th this was the the following Sunday, I think. I went there, and it was in a, a bomb shelter, right? Do you remember that? Were you going there back? Yeah, at the tail end. Yeah, it was a bomb in a bomb shelter at the what's now the bus station, but it used to be like an outdoor mall. Yeah, over North, on Northgate. Northgate, yeah, okay, Northgate. Okay. And so we went and did the, so at the end of the service, Dale was talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And he said, if anybody's interested, you know, why don't you come up? And so I, I or after the service, so I went up after the service and then had this, you know, visceral experience. And then, and then somebody, because there was a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote prophetic people that would speak to you about your future and your past mm -hmm. and all that. And so somebody had said that I was, that I was called to be a minister, a pastor. And, and then I, I just never looked back. And then I, so I didn't know really what to do. Actually, it, I, it could be kind of backwards because I think that I started doing the Bible study at the stadium before I went to the vineyard. Oh, or really? to, to Gia's Chapel, yeah. So I could be messing up my story because I, I was doing that and I was doing my best to teach the Bible, but I didn't even know, you know, any more than I do now. But I really was like, kind of you open the Bible mm -hmm. and put your Just finger and say, Judas hung himself and then yeah. go do likewise. And so it was like... <laughs> <laughs> See you later, Teenagers guys. are like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Anyway. And Steve was the one that invited you to Jesus Chapel. Yeah, right? so you must have already been going. Yeah, because you I invited me there. Okay, I know I was doing the Bible study before I went to the church. Oh, okay. So I met you at yeah. And then oh, and then <laughs> and then the air band. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were in a Christian air band. <laughs> and he admits it on a podcast. Yeah, Dwayne's like this is amazing. Everyone's everyone knows now. The well, everybody's saying, out. "What the hell is an air band?" What, what and, and I like, just actually <laughs> said that I admitted that. <laughs> anyway, so 
<laughs> and air band was sort of like the Milli Vanilli thing. Right. When it was You played cool. pretend instruments. It yeah. Cool. But it was actually yeah. so big in the 80s. It was a big deal. That, that <laughs> it was bigger than real bands playing because it was a lot less hassle to bring an air band. <laughs> you know, they're not bringing a bunch of equipment. Tickets and, were cheaper. It was so big that Milli Vanilli became millionaires off of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, and they, it was, it was, uh, and so we, we had prior to my experience, we, there was a, I don't know. I think it's now a school. It's now a, a charter school over there on rushing and um, whatever it, uh, it used to be Smith's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. it used to be a skating rink there. Mm. That's right. Um, on Rushing and I can't think of the cross street. But we used to call it the Rush Fair Metrodome. And we would go <laughs> we'd go skating there and they would do, They started doing these air band contests. Okay. So we yeah, joined them. Right. Uh, I joined them and got some friends together and we were doing like Rush and, you know, right. and stuff. And then, and then I had the idea that we should start a Christian air band when I – became a Christian because that's only appropriate. Right, you, you have to. You have to. You, you don't do to, that, you'll go to, to hell. push the brand, you know. And so. <laughs> push the brand. He's like, I guess I'm a company man now. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, um, I got, um, you know, we, from doing the Bible studies and stuff, I think I got some people together and we yeah. we did this air band thing. And it became, it became like a big deal. And well, like even when a news station came in, recorded us and did an interview and so the first band was called savior and then that band broke up and i started another band called (laughs) called leviticus (laughs) (laughs) judas Judas swinging was already taken yeah i guess one of those favorite books in the bible leviticus (laughs) yeah jesse was already taken so it was uh in fact it was somebody asked me like uh, the news station when they were interviewing us, they asked why, why we chose that name, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, it's just cool. <laughs> sounds it cool. sounds fun. <laughs> we, we really like to sacrifice animals. <laughs> and if you're Jewish, oh no, we don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, we so, might be. <laughs> and Christian right. music, Christian music, like like rock was barely like it was a uh, what Larry Norman. Remember Larry Norman? Yeah, yeah. Like he was out, and there was a like the resurrection. Yeah, there band. was there was an industry by that point, yeah. I think. But I mean, it was not like it was like not like it just, is today. But it was fledgling. Yeah, yeah. Petra, Petra, yeah. Uh, Res band, Res band. We liked all those. Daniel band, lots so, of stuff that David thought the lyrics were really deep, and he was wanting to. Yes. Oh, like, that's right, Striper. Yeah. <laughs> that's something you find in a. That you find something in your in your infant's uh, diaper, a striper, isn't that what that is? Well, I thought is? it was a, a type of fish, but same, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh... Wait, so when when did you know you were going to become a pastor? Uh, it wasn't quite as clear. No one, you when, know, no one told you. Nobody told me <laughs> that. Yeah, and so it was. But kind effectively, of you guys came up at the same time. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah, it was a little. I don't bit, ever remember a bit behind us. you, but even talking about I you know what it was is we were in the same youth group together yeah with this uh couple that's probably about 10 years older than us yeah yeah and and I remember um David and I were both vying for like you know you know who's gonna teach or 
I yeah, found getting Mandrakes, a gig of I some sort. I found Mandrakes by the river, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, you know, who's going to yeah. get to teach? And, and, but I don't know that we ever talked like, hey, I'm going to be a pastor. I think it was right. just that, that I can remember, unless you remember different. No, yeah, I think it was the function. I think we wanted yeah. to be teachers. Yeah, yeah. Preachers, that kind of thing. Right. So you wanted a gig of some sort. Where you could get so, up and sharpen your pontificate. <laughs> and then David was like, he was always like so much like deeper as a person than me. And so, you know, he would be like, when he had to teach, he'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I fasted all day yeah, yesterday and I've been in prayer. <laughs> and I was like, shit, you know, I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I played, you know, I played dig dug like, at Goonie golf. I, I, was, <laughs> I was doing air band practice. <laughs> yes. I was, we actually did. Rate. We actually practiced on <laughs> choreography. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You got to light the, the guitar on fire. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and so when, when was your first like real pastor gig? Um, like, you mean as, like, a, an official pastor? Yeah, like as a head pastor. What, I don't know what they call it. <laughs> it's the top dog. <laughs> well, well, the as a senior pastor, it would have been in 99. Where was that? At, I, I don't know the at, story. I'm curious. At, at Vineyard, yeah. So the, the founding pastor left and went to do something else in Las Cruces, and then— and that's, So that's Del Walker? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it had blown up from the, the basement— Yeah, the church —bomb shelter to a— they built a yeah, building. Yeah, it was and, a mega church. Yeah. So by mega church standards at that time. Yeah, yeah, it was about what, a thousand, 900 people. Maybe yeah, 800, yeah. 900. Busting, wow. yeah. busting that thousand barrier at some point. Yeah. So that's when I, but you know, I know we were we were licensed together. We were ordained together. Yeah, that's right. Time. In our early twenties. Yeah, and so we and we we were kind of on staff at the same time. Yeah, so. Doing churchy opportunities. Because you started at Del Walker's church too, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think I went into the youth ministry and then you went into more you got married really young. Yeah. And so so you uh you went into more adult ministry kind of stuff. Yeah. And I did the youth. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we kind of You were doing the night shift at uh Albertson's. Albert, it was called Skaggs. Skaggs. Oh, Skaggs. Yeah. Skaggs. He was the night. He was with remember the night Skaggs? shift people. Skaggs, man. Skaggs, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have Skaggs in Las Cruces. I mean, I don't even know. We just had like trucks full of groceries, and they would just throw them at you as they drove by. <laughs> but we, when we would get commercials, they would be the El Paso commercials. Oh, okay. So I remember. I remember the Skaggs Alpha Beta yeah. commercials, but I've never. Yeah. So they turned into Albertsons. Yeah, yeah. The I think they might have been something else too before that, right? Or I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Smiths? There was Smiths. We had a Smiths. Or is that a different thing? No, Smiths was a different thing. Piggly Wiggly? So at what Piggly point? Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about that just now. So the, like at what point did you know you were going to be taking over the that church specifically? Um, I think that it was in process for maybe a couple of years. Mm. You know, Dale wanted to go and then. I think he pulled the reins back and then, you know, I had some chaos in my life at that time. And I think he backed off for a while and then mm. put it back on the front burner. He Jay Leno'd your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was that he, uh, he, uh, who's the other guy? I just lost his name. 
Arnie? No, that guy, the other talk show guy that Conan. Oh, Conan. Yeah. So he Conan. You got Conan. Yeah, it was Conan that got the boot. Yeah. They started and then stopped and then started. So, yeah. So it was probably a couple of years in the making. Yeah. Right. I was on staff yeah. from like 96, 97 as an associate pastor. And I did that as a my main job for, you know, until 99. And then when Dale moved on, I took over the the church. And and what was that like, like becoming the head pastor? I mean, Dave, David and I have talked about his ups and downs as far as being doing head pastor stuff. But I, I'm curious to get sort of what, you know, what were some of the the good and bad, you know what I mean? Like, cause some, some of that stuff I'm sure fed your soul, but I'm sure there was other stuff that, that was just draining at the same time. Well, so in retrospect, I, I don't know that it fed my soul. I think it fed my ego oh. more than anything. And I, when I look back on it now, um, uh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're going to do. And this is, and I'm sure David, if he, reaches in the recesses of his memory will remember some of our conversations. But like, I, I thought that I had it, you know, these are the changes I'm going to make. These are the things that I've always wanted to do that I'm going to make this a better place. And, you know, all of that. And um, so I was pretty, when I first took over, I was like super driven, mm-hmm. uh, anal retentive. I did, you know, I mean, I was so intense that I set up like, quarterly evaluations for all the employees. Um, I had, you know, I was just very, very picky about dress code. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, I was, I was totally into the organization of the whole thing. And yet you hired Cole. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was already, I was already starting to move away from, yeah. (laughs) So what, so what got you to start moving away from that stuff? Failure. Um, probably the main thing I can think of. Um, I just, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I like when I think about, when I think about like the seasons of my life during that time, I had a time where it was all push and grow and image and, you know, the whole, um, there's like a whole, I don't even know how to describe it. There's like a whole system that you, that you are buying into mm. and presiding over. I, I completely gave myself to that and was very intentional. And then I had a lot of, I was having a lot of chaos in my marriage mm. and I was trying to hold the, you know, that outward image as a little like micro celebrity within that realm, deal with my own life and I think just getting, you know, knocked down, failing, watching, you know, making bad decisions. I think things started to, you know, started to ease up. And one thing is when when I first hired Cole or brought Cole on, he was pretty preppy as well. I mean, like he was, yeah, he was very straight and narrow. Punk rocker. Yeah. It wasn't until... After he worked with me for a while, and then he started to kind of, oh, okay. you know, that's when the dreads came in. Ah, uh, that's right. That's right. I forgot the he tattoos. had dreads. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's the most surprising and least surprising thing at the a, same time. A Korean practicing <laughs> cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so bizarre. Right. So he was, but you know, when he first came to the church, you know, he was working as an industrial engineer for some that's place right, on yeah. railroad, and and you know, he was, you know, he had made some good choices in his life and was doing well. You know, he was he was doing well, and and then he went to. Um, he went to language school in Guatemala, I think, mm. and then he went to That's right. seminary in Scottsdale. Yeah, Phoenix, Scottsdale. Yeah. And so, uh, him and I, him and I really hit it off. And then, uh, when he came on staff, I think over time he just actually, I probably, and if I would have thought about it back then, I probably would have spent more time learning from him than he was trying to learn from me because I think he he just had an authenticity about him that always. Mm that I always felt safe around, you know, right. I still do. But I mean, I just, just felt, even like when I was here the other day for the, the green party, not the oh, Patrick's oh, Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, every time I'm over here, I feel like my soul rests because I'm around people that I've known for many, many years. And, and I don't worry about, it. I mean, it's just like, there's something about. You can let your guard down. Yeah. Big yeah. time, big time. So Cole, over time, he kind of, you know, uh, relaxed his thing. But he was, he was a lot more uptight when I first met him. Mm. Uh, and I mean, he, I mean, I'm sure that he, you know, knew how to play the game like corporately, and that's just probably what it was mainly. But when he first came in, he was doing that, and then he kind of mellowed out. Mm. And then, um, and then I, I went through a divorce. Um, during the time that I was a senior pastor and how, how, how long had you been a senior pastor at that point? Well, I was there from 99 to as a senior pastor. I think I was a senior pastor from 99 to 2000 to the end of 2013. Okay. So, and when, when did your divorce happen? I think it was like, Oh, five or Oh okay. six. So, so you'd been there a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And, Anyway, I, you know, I was working, you know, 80 hours a week and I was traveling, you know, I had a lot of responsibilities in the vineyard that, that at the time were doing nothing. It, like it was, for me, it was just feeding my ego. You know, I was over the churches in the area and I was over the, the churches that were working in the Philippines. So I was traveling all the time and, uh, you know, my marriage completely fell apart. So mm. I kind of weathered that storm and then got married again, probably within a year of that happening. And there was a weird shift for me because I had put all of my effort into the church. And then when I got remarried, it was the first time I thought, oh, I could put effort into, you know, my marriage, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a it's, revolutionary it's, idea. Yeah, it's something know. besides your church. <laughs> I know it's, it sounds really sad. But well, no, it, but, it is very consuming that church thing. Well, I was going to say too, and it, but for whatever reason that this idea, you know, the Christ idea consumed you. It sounds like from day one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I don't know any other person that has stolen a fucking Gideon's Bible. And decided to read it cover to cover, Dude, just so you a could whole go back. Group of 
There's like 15. a subculture that just steals these Gideon Bibles. Yeah, yeah their name's Steve Alvarez. These teenagers. <laughs> yeah, teenagers. Yeah, they're... Um, yeah, well, what's interesting is, is that the... Uh, the uh, I, I think it's, that's interesting language, the Christ idea. I, I think I was... Like, my whole heart and soul was completely sold out to the idea of, you know, being a follower of Christ. And then, and then I think when you get involved in the, the church and all of that, your focus really shifts and it's a subtle thing. Um, I don't know how, what your view of that is, but like my focus really shifted to things like, you know, growth and organization and, you know, because as they would always say, the church is an organization and an organism. And I think I was, you know, you have to carry both of those in this, you know, day and age. And so I, I really bought into that. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, my, my soul was pretty dry and pretty hollow. And I was just pushing and pushing and no, I guess I guess my point was because you're right. You can't be a follower of Christ and try to grow a church simultaneously. It's it 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 just doesn't hold water. You know, I think you, we can look at many examples in the gospel. My my point of view was more that uh, you're an intense dude. <laughs> so yeah, of course you would focus all your attention on the thing at hand, whether it was learn, reading the Bible cover to cover. Or trying to grow this church, yeah. right? So being able to have that, oh, I can, I can have, you know, I could be part of the church, run the church, and invest in my marriage at the same time was probably a profound shift for you. Well, yes, but what happened was is that the church suffered when I poured into my marriage. What and, do you mean by suffered, though? Well. Well, that's a good question. So one of the ladies, when we were going through this, some, when some lady told me something that kind of stuck with me, because, um, you know, the, the church had a lot of growth, or, or let's say we, for taking over a founding pastor, we sustained growth really well. And and then whenever we did have attrition from the people that left the from the original pastor, we always bounce right back. So we did really well, like in terms of like the numbers, we were, you know, successful which, or whatever. Which is the main point of the yeah. gospel is to always have better numbers. <laughs> That's from right. my understanding. <laughs> well, if you go to a mega church, yes. Yeah, yeah. That is so. true. So there's yeah. a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. So. Well, it's funny too. <laughs> That's yeah, what true. It's okay. funny too because you said when the guy stopped you after you guys, or not stopped you, but you know, tried to, you thought he was giving you an Amway pitch and then fast forward 15, 20 years and you're in Amway. Yeah. Yeah. Called Jesus Chapel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, well, and, vineyard. and as an aside, the, you know, in high school, that was a big focus for us was to yeah. bring people into, mm -hmm. you know, like for people to get saved. And so, well, well I think that it, still yeah. exists. It's still a, like a popular thing. Yeah. We spent an enormous amount of time. Probably. Um, on our own just with that. But this lady told me, she said, because the church really started to decline in numbers and um, and we struggled. And, 
This one lady said, you know, Steve, it seems like you used to be a 24-7 pastor. And when you got married, you weren't a 24-7 pastor anymore. Wow. Wow. And I was like, well, what does that mean? She said, it's like you were always there for everybody and you're not doing that anymore. So that has an effect. And it, as much as that bothered me, I think that there was a lot of, you know, truth to what she was saying. But it was a sad truth. Yeah. Because, and, and then I, you know, that, you know, that, it seemed like I was in a place from that season from 06 to 13 where I I could never seem to figure out a way to get the church, you know, as we would call it, growing again. And, I, and, and, and then I started to, for the first time in my life, have fear over mm. what if people leave and, oh, that person gives a lot of money and they're leaving. I never even thought about stuff like that when I was younger. I was pretty fearless. Well, I wouldn't say fearless. I just was naive. I didn't know and I didn't really care. And I started to care more about those things. And that affected how I dealt with conflict. It affected everything. I, it really, in a lot of ways I changed. And, um, and then when that second marriage dissolved, that's when I scooted along and left the church. But it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I might be off base on this, but how you ran the church the first half of your time there was not sustainable. Like to be a 24-7 hour, 24-7 pastor, it's not, is, it's not sustainable. Which is what they expect. In the, any the, given church, that is the expectation. Yeah. So how did you avoid that? Or did you avoid that? No, not initially, no. Right? No. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I hit the wall earlier because I had a, the tragedy of my brother's untimely death. Mm -hmm. And and so that kind of put a bigger perspective on my life. Right. And so and how, a, how old were you when he passed? I know he was 21. Yeah, I was 22. Okay. And so maybe this would have been... Anyway, I just remember in my 20s, actually saying this because I was I was referring to Mark Twain who would sit because I was an English a teacher mm -hmm. who said you know don't let uh, don't let don't let learning don't let uh, institutional education don't let school get in the way of your learning <laughs> and so I, I would say I twisted it and said don't let uh, the church and ministry get in the way of your relationship with God mm -hmm. and and it was, I was probably, it was probably 1995, a year before we left to plant our church. So I, must, I was probably in my mid-20s, and I just realized I hated the place. It was an Easter Sunday. It was packed out, and I was on the staff, and we're trying to get chairs. And, and I realized I just hate this place. I hate the songs. I hate what I've become. You hated? I, I hate all of this stuff. I hate the circus. So, so I get you hated your church or just the idea of church? Everything about it, yeah. Uh, I, ca I came here to experience God, mm. and it's the last thing I experience now. I'm just, we're just packing in chairs, and I don't want to be here anymore. You're, you're, you're a, a, a chair mover. It wasn't even that. It was, it was the, the whole trappings, everything. Right. You know? No, no, I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was, and the, like holidays were the worst. I mean— yeah, it was you know, awful. Being in the church just is a 
fucks you up with holidays. Yeah, yeah. You're doing five, four services yeah, on a Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve and, Ridiculous and stuff. You're Easter. exhausted on Christmas Day, and if it happens to fall on a Sunday, you're fucked. Yeah. And, and then Easter is... And, and the Halloween event that they did like every oh, year, it's like yeah, yeah. there's all this pressure to put on this big... I mean, I'm sure, like, you didn't you say that you did... You did stuff that was more like in, like commercials, like video stuff. And there a lot of pressure to make sure that's right for the people in it. Yeah, I mean, I I did. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have to deal with that necessarily. And up close, yeah. I was kind of the guy from the office being like, "Yeah, don't don't screw it up. <laughs> Good luck." <laughs> yeah. Well, we were. It was just you were the lot, guys. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And. You know, if you so David was always more um, advanced in his processes than I was. So, you know, I just am a late bloomer. It just took me a while to come around. But it seemed like when you were first starting your church on the east side, that you had some of that like church growth kind of mindset for a yeah, couple of years. For sure. And then, and then I think it, for, just in my perspective, it seems like when you started to move away from that. Like, you know, you guys had talked about actually relocating that things really changed. Yeah, big time. Um, but that's, you know, it, it, some, growing a church was so important. Right. It, it and felt, I, I guess we, we were both trained in church growth theory. Of course. This is the beginning of the mega church movement. Yeah. Well, and then I think you took over that church when it peaked. That It was kind of peaking yeah. nationally. So he yeah. was right in the... And, and I felt even then on the east side... That the the church growth thing was <clears throat> almost a demonic temptation, mm. and I, and I would feel like every time I'd pray, you know, I'd be praying for God to grow the church, and I realized that's an idolatrous prayer. I don't want mm. this in my in my private inner thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I want to know God. That's what I want. Uh, so your your step away from the growth. <clears throat> came more internally than something externally. Yeah. Well, I remember calling probably you. I I definitely remember calling Ernie and telling him, uh, this was in the late 90s, saying uh, if if there was a a seductive uh, woman who was trying to make me, uh, trying to seduce me, that would be easier than the temptation I'm going through. Mm -hmm. That would be much easier to deal with than uh, this this idea of success for Jesus. It's more seductive. It's more evil uh, in that sense. And so that's, I remember telling them that. Yeah, no. I remember reading an article around that time from <laughs> Christianity Today about, yeah. about um, the, the, and I'm surprised that the article made it into the magazine, but the, the, the pastor that wrote the article basically said that he believes that congregations breed addictive personalities. Yeah, I just looked that up. Oh, you did? Yes. Right now? (laughs) Yes. Because I remember us reading that. I remember losing my shit over it. Yeah. And and printing it out probably and giving it. Yeah, it was a Do leadership it, magazine. It was your yeah. Jerry Maguire moment. Oh, was it, it, was. Oh, it wasn't Christianity. It was leadership. It was leadership magazine. magazine okay, yeah. and, and her name, that's what I just looked up. Her name uh, uh, was Sally Morgenthaler. Okay. That's and right. that, I, I think you and I have talked about it. All. It rocked my world, yeah. yeah. How certain yeah. certain types of ministry 
a feel addictive behavior. And she told her amazing story. Because it was her husband, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And she was just like in our age group, the whole thing. Yeah. And and so th- what happens is these ministers, they crash and burn because of whatever issue. Right. Yeah. And then the, you know, the, um, the congregations just ripped them to shit. Yeah. And then, but like, like the addictive process, everybody is part of the problem. You know, everybody is part. And so the church just throws them away and then installs the next yeah. person. Because the congregation is enabling. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, is. it's a codependent cycle yeah. kind of yeah. thing, yeah. It's kind of like on Black Hawk Down, you know, when the guy's <laughs> up there shooting and he gets shot and they throw him down and then he goes, all right, uh, you're next. <laughs> He's looking up there and sees all these bodies. That's how it yeah. is, you know. It's, it's pretty, toxic. It's brutal. But what is interesting to me, uh, I guess, maybe moving even more to the negative is, you know, even well, I, for some reason, I have this guilty fascination with like this thing with Will Smith smacking this guy on the Oscars. This, this guy this being guy. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Yeah, one of the greatest yes, comedians yes, yes. of our time. I, and I, yes, I love this Chris Rock. This guy. <laughs> Well, you it's know because that random guy it's, will. Spin. It's because Chris asked me not to say his name. <laughs> oh, so you've been you've been uh, counseling Chris yeah. Rock. Everybody hates Chris. Counseling. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he was like, you know, don't use my name, yo. So <laughs> keep so, my name out of your fucking, fucking mouth. mouth. <laughs> so, um, but I have this like guilty fascination with that, and I was, I was thinking to myself, why. Am I watching this shit? And you know what? It reminds me of the church. Because, Mm. so, you know, like, Will Smith did this. The other guy, we'll call him person one. (laughs) Anyway, he did this. And and so now everything from his past is revealed. And, Mm. like, obviously it was a really stupid thing to do. But, like, I'm thinking everybody's annihilating this guy. And he obviously hasn't handled it well, but... I think about how I was in situations where things were crumbling around me and it was like everybody just starts digging into everything you've ever done. So the big pile on yeah, and, starts. And so, you know, the... Yeah, it's a the, very public divorce. The church is the original cancel culture as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's... Absolutely. We've yeah. been dealing with this shit for years. Yeah. And the, the stuff that we see now just reminds me of that. I think it... I think there's part of me emotionally that connects with all that. And For so sure. Con- uh, connects with what exactly? Connects with that feeling of of like making mistakes and and just having er- everything thrown at you that can mm. possibly be thrown at you and having all this analysis around you and know that you're the talk of everything like I mean it's and and it's it's so easy for anybody to just kind of say shit, have yeah. absolutely no idea the effects that it has. And so I, you know, I mean. So because just because I'm ignorant, so something similar to that, as far as people piling onto you personally, happened around the first divorce or the second divorce? Both. Or, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, you know, I and I know, I mean, like what's interesting in terms of my perception of David 
I'm talking about you like you're not in the room. Uh, hi, I'm right here. <laughs> He's person. Yeah. Chris is person I, I'm, A. I'm person here. C. David yeah. is person B. <laughs> C A. C C uh, slash C A one, one <laughs> dash. So the thing with David that I was always blown away with is that I I've never perceived him as doing really anything wrong. You know, what I mean, he just he he felt like it was you know, like they, it was time to move here. Right. And, and he got the shit thrown at him just as bad as I did. And he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I, I went through a divorce. I had, it wasn't like I was a saint in those relationships. I mean, like, like I obviously, that's obviously a stigma to that. Mm -hmm. And all David wanted to do was change direction. (laughs) And, and so it's like, you know, it was, it's almost like it doesn't really matter if you don't fit the mold. Mm. You're, you're going to be yeah canceled or yeah yeah tossed, you'll be canceled tossed, tossed yeah. aside yeah and and that's uh you know that's so you know when i saw david go through it i was like well there's no hope for me because yeah. he didn't it's he did toxic culture yeah so what was the time i i guess i'm not too i'm forgetting the time frame so did you go through your struggles after the after david moved out here yeah not david but Desert Rain community moved out. Yeah, here. yeah. Almost the same. I think we had just, we came out here in 2002. In fact, it's, yeah, it's 20 years. Oh, wow. Next month. Yeah. So. Yeah, about three or four years after. Into started, it, yeah. yeah. For so, your first divorce. Yeah. And then it happened yeah. again, however many years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it was, um, I, I mean, I, I guess, it's really hard to know how, you know, there like anything I would do different, but I do know that probably the divorce thing doesn't fit well in that, um, in that realm. You know what I mean? Of course. Right. So I think if I had to do it over again, I probably would have just bowed out the first time and just said, as far as you mean, like step down. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I probably would have just said, yeah, this is, um, you know, this is not, you know, this is probably not a good thing because I just set myself up for all kinds of shit to fly my way mm-hmm. for years to come. And and I've pretty much been out of that realm for almost 10 years now. And the, wow. that was going to be my question is if you currently pastor a church. No. Yeah. No. So <clears throat> I did, though, I did have this. I was telling David had this. There was this lady that we went to school, high school with, that um, I had been, you know, trying to help her out with some things. And and anyway, she um, she told me that she was a Buddhist witch, which I had never thought about those two things together. And um, and she passed away a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she told me one time we were talking is she said you know what, Steve, if you were ever a pastor, I would go to your church, even though I don't believe in that shit. <laughs> she said, you have a you have a cult personality, and I would totally buy into it. I know, it's so disturbing. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, thanks, <laughs> I think. Wow. So uh, one of the, we got a little bit of time, but the one thing that sort of sticks out to me, and you mentioned it earlier about pursuing 
the stuff within the church as far as the, the growth and things of that nature was, uh, it was an ego feeding endeavor. Yeah. I'm assuming you didn't see that that's, you weren't, you didn't have that conscious thought at the time of like, oh, this is such a great thing for my ego. How did that shit, how did you come to that realization that, that it, instead of, a you know, it, the pursuit of, of Christ, so to speak, it was, you, you were pursuing your own ego. Well, again, I'm a late bloomer. So with the, when I went through my second divorce, I, um, and then I was kind of in a weird position with the church because the way the government was, the, the church was set up, the pastor would decide, uh, that's more what of a presbytery type of uh, setup where, or structure. And, and so it was more of a thing of like, am I going to resign? Am I not going to resign? And the, the, the was board, there pressure for you to resign? Well, by the board, there was, there was like three board members that wanted me to go. Mm. And, um, and I, during the time I was consulting with other senior pastors around the city and they all thought that I should stay you know, sort of this language that they would use in the church, like, you know, you're the head and not the tail. And, you know, you got to, <laughs> God has given you the authority. And <laughs> Fight for this. Yeah. The kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. <laughs> and so I just felt like it was not, it was not advantageous for me to stay. And because basically it become a personality thing, like, you know. Right, of course. Hey, if you love Steve, stay at the church and it would probably split the church. And so I moved along. Anyway, when I left, when I left the church, I was so, um, I was so disillusioned. And, and I remember reaching out to David um, and telling him, yeah, you know, I, I heard about this book called uh, the Immortal Diamond by this guy, Richard Rohr. Have you ever heard of him? And, and he was like, no, tell me about it. So anyway, so David was like, yeah. So David had mentioned to me some other books to read. And and I just started reading voraciously for the next couple of years. Did, Every, you, did you change your ways a little bit? Did you purchase these books? Was there more stealing going on? Oh, <laughs> I was like, changed my ways, like meaning that the people in the church gave them to me. No, yes, no, I. You mean Barnes and Noble isn't a library? Yeah. <laughs> I thought those books were free. You change your ways. No, I think I purchased them, and David, I think, gave me some probably. David's yeah. good for books. He's given me some. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a big man. deal. When David gives you a book. You yeah, I'm out of books now. Read it. Yeah, <laughs> given so many. So, away. so, so you started I, reading. Well, to answer your question, as far as the ego thing, yeah. oh yeah, I I um I and, and David was like I was calling him and you know every eight months <laughs> through the process, but like I think I came to a place of saying I don't. I don't know what I believe in anymore. Mm. Like but the whole structure, because everything to me was about the church, the community, the, you know, we're family, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of set it all aside and started from scratch. And so wow. I started reading. And one of the conclusions that I came to, first of all, was uh, 
I, I hate the fact that you can know people for 20, 30 years and then they just don't talk to you. They avoid you when they see you at the store. And I just realized it's really not their fault per se, but they're part of a system that yeah. is moving them. And so it's not going to do me any good to sit around and be pissed off about this anymore. I need to let that go. But then I, when I read Immortal Diamond, he talks a lot about the ego. Mm -hmm. And I think I started to realize that, you know what? Most of what has fueled me most of my life has been my ego. Like if, if I get accolades, you know, if I get more responsibility, somehow that meant that I was important or mm -hmm. that I had some great gift or that. And I think that all of that had to be deconstructed. I mean, I think a lot of ways it still is. Um, but it it's uh, I, that's when I realized it. So that's maybe in the last you know eight or nine years mm -hmm. that I've really started to connect with that. So, what well, I think we talk about in the recovery world, like uh, peeling the onion. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's just an ongoing process of because um, I can relate to that too. Getting the accolades and the pat on the backs and watching my my ego inflate you know even if it's slowly at times but but that you know that's a dangerous place for me to be in for sure yeah yeah it is and it's hard to it, it kind of sneaks up on you i mean like for me that's how it was now i feel i almost feel awkward in those situations that were second nature to me and what do you, in what sense? Like, like what, what situations? Just, I have, you know, you know, like I have people that are like, you know, a few weeks ago, I did a funeral service for mm -hmm. one of my customers, husband, you know, she, he died and they asked me if I would do the service right. and, and, and I don't, I don't really go into it the same with the same mentality that I used to of like, you know, I got this, you know, um, I, I really took step life. aside, everyone. Yeah, step let's aside. Steve, let's Steve on, on the, <laughs> the stage. salesman has left the building. You know, so. Yeah, I, I pretty much figured I can't fail. You know, I, I right. that's my whole mentality. I have, I just have a whole different approach. And then when people talk to me about personal things, like would happen, you know, every day in ministry, mm -hmm. it, it's a completely different to me now. And so sometimes I almost feel like I'm not even sure how to respond to this. Uh, it's, it's a, like I just see everything with a different lens. It doesn't mean that I don't have an ego or that I've figured that out, but I, I think that it is showing that it's chipped away at that. And I do recognize from the past. And the other realization that I came to, which is kind of a radical realization for me, but in a lot of ways, I have to realize that as a minister, I hurt people too, mm -hmm. you know? I made decisions, I treated people with a holier-than-thou attitude at times. And, and sometimes I wonder if I hurt as many people as I helped, you know, like, like, so I, I can't really look at that like, oh, I was this good guy and then all these people yeah. turned on me. I mean, I certainly had my, my shortcomings even as I was a practitioner. And I, you know, I don't even know what to do about that. You know, yeah. I, I really don't. That, that's one of the radical things in the the 12 steps. The fourth step, you take a moral inventory. But the people that set this, wrote the book, they knew they were dealing with crazy-ass alcoholics. So the first 
first two parts of it is you write everyone you're resentful at and what, why you're resentful at them. So it's, it's all externalized. And then the last piece of it, oh, and what it affects. So like your self-esteem, your ambitions, blah, blah, blah. And then the last part's like, okay, now what was your part in it? Yeah. And it, it's kind of that, that left hook on a, an alcoholic, yeah. but it, it does exactly what you're talking about. It chips away to realize, oh, uh, you know, whatever. So-and-so stole all my CDs in high school. It's like, well, you know, I didn't treat that guy very well. You know what I mean? I was taking advantage of him in different ways. And it's like, well, yeah, probably I had a part in that. You know what I mean? And, and just going down the list and, and looking at each one of those. Because uh, in most situations, a lot of situations, it takes two to tango, right? Yeah. Like no one no one is a 100% victim all the time, right? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, so I think that's an interesting thing to realize and like, you know, I helped, helped out a bunch of people and I probably hurt a bunch of people too. Yeah. It's, it's, it, and it's, it's gotta be humbling. I know for me, those types of realizations are, are super humbling. Yeah, it is very, uh, very hard. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough reality. To... And there was a while there that I thought like, you know, I, I even have an issue with the whole idea of apologies. Like personally, I think they're not, they don't really mean anything. Um, but I, there was a time that I had said, if anybody comes into my life from the past that I know, you know, from the church that I've heard, I'm going to say something to them. Uh, not necessarily like an apology, but like to say, look, I know my part in this. Um, and and, and so there have been a few people yeah. that have kind of shown up and that's been, you know, those have been good opportunities for me to say something, but you know what, in the long term, what does it do for anybody? But I know for me, it just helps me to further deal with that humility of like, yeah, I, I have really fucked over people in my life. And well, and I think too, just for the person receiving you know, the fact you going up to them is acknowledging yeah. like, hey, you yeah. know, I, I just want to acknowledge X, Y, and Z. Um, that allows them to be seen, right? Yeah. Instead yeah. of carrying around this like, oh, well, you know, fucking Steve. Uh, it's like, but you approach them and you yeah. say, so it, it lightens your load because yeah. you you get to acknowledge what, what you're aware of. And it maybe, you know, it's not one for one, right? It's not a math equation, but it gives them the opportunity to also lighten their load if they want, you know, if they want to let go of that stuff. Some people want to hold on to their their anger and their, you know, their grudges. And that's, you know, for each their own. That's a really good point that it gives them an opportunity to lighten their load. That's, that's really um, a valid, that's a good way of looking at it. I hadn't considered that. Gee, I was thinking about myself. <laughs> God damn it. Again. Again. <laughs> uh, is there anything else on your mind? We're coming up on that. No. Hour. Appreciate you coming in. Yeah. I would, Being so are candid. You, are you interested in, in coming back and maybe diving deeper into the this idea of deconstruction? Because I know that's something we we talk about on a regular Evolution basis. of faith, dissolution yeah. of faith. And... Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Mr. Steve, appreciate your time. Me. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. David Morrison. 
appreciate it. Uh, good another episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, what you hear in the background is uh, Monk Drums. Thank you, Jacob Nedia, for that. And uh, DRCR Pod is where you can uh, hear this. And our we've restarted our Road to Desert Rain uh, series. And so you can catch all our episodes uh, there. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.